Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. It's a joy and a privilege to serve God because we know that He is a good God. It's a joy and a privilege to worship Him and know more about Him. Do you know that the Bible says, you will be like the God who you worship. You will be like the God who you worship. And I pray that as we worship the God of the Bible, the living God, the one true God, will be transformed and changed into his likeness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'd like to thank Pastor Greg for allowing me to share the word this morning. It's my first time, so be kind, be gentle to me. Don't throw tomatoes. Eggs, probably. I like eggs. But um, I believe God has a message for each and every one of us. And it will be a blessing to our souls. Tonight, uh, tonight, see, I can tell. You, you can tell. I always speak in the evening. This morning, I'd like to share on and follow on what we've been talking about um, the past few weeks. Uh, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments. And... Um, It'd be great for everyone to be here for that, but I think Sam is calling out for all the young people for the Bible class to go down. Sorry, guys, you have to catch it on iTunes. So go on. Have a great time. I'm sure Sam will look after you well. Oh, not sure. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll keep an eye on you, Sam. We'll, we'll have somebody check on you every single time. Good stuff. Right. Um, we could probably divide the Ten Commandments into two parts. Uh, we've been talking about um, the Ten Commandments from the bottom up. We worked out from the Tenth Commandment going up. And from the Fifth Commandment to the Tenth Commandment, which is the second half, we were looking at ways where God is instructing us regarding our relationship with one another. We have commandments do not covet, teaching us to be content, do not lie, and teaching us to uphold truth, do not steal, so that we have a clear conscience, do not commit adultery, keep away from affairs, it just messes up whole life. Do not murder, deals with anger. Honor your parents so that keep the peace within the household. Those are the second half of the, the uh, commandments. But over the past week and onto this week, we'll talk about the first four of the Ten Commandments, and it deals with our relationship with God. And I think it's important that we understand that when, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. After this, the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the ten commandments in two. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. This morning I'll be focusing on that commandment on Exodus chapter 20. Verses 4 to 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to that piece of passage. It's always good to read out the Word of God because it helps develop faith in us. Because faith cometh by hearing the Word of God. So it's great to just build up our faith by hearing God's Word. As we show up on the screen, hopefully. I'll be reading from the um, English Standard Version. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Lord God, bless the, the preaching of your word, and may your word give us truth, truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. If I may ask you, what are the things you hold on to to give you a sense of meaning, value, or worth? Are there things in your life that you hold dear because they help you get on with life? They are so important that sometimes you feel you cannot do without them. I'm turning over to the kid, uh, young people here. They may be looking over their phones. I cannot live without my phone. Some people feel that way towards some things. But have you ever asked the question, do you, feel, do you have to put in a lot of effort into some things for fear of things not going the right way if you don't do so? I believe that God's word is a liberating word. When we talk about commandments, we feel that we should do things. We are compelled. We are bound to do them. But I think the Ten Commandments is such a liberating principle. It actually prepares us to do God's will instead of prohibiting us from doing what we want to do. And there's a difference there. Often what we want to do is not in accordance to God's will. The Ten Commandments keeps us in a straight and narrow. It allows us to do God's will, to do the good things that God intended for us. So bear that in mind as we go through the verses. Pastor Greg mentioned that he was reading um, a book called Just Ten. By J. John, and he did promise, and I'm keeping account of that, that he may give out that book probably tonight. So if you come tonight, you may be able to give this, have this great book by J. John. It's called Just Then, about the Ten Commandments. In that book, J. John mentioned a, a, an illustration of this particular commandment. And I'll apply it to myself. Um, I'm married to my wife over 13 years now. Um, is she here? There she is. There you go. Um, before we got married, um, she was already working here. I was in the Philippines. I was doing my training, finishing my training as a doctor. And um, it's hard when you're away from the people you love. Do you agree? Okay, just five, I think ten, I think, who really loved somebody. It's difficult. It's difficult. So sometimes in those days we had the dial-up uh, internet connection. Ding, 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 ding. You know, you know that. Emails were really slow. Those days there were no broadbands. We had to resort to le writing letters. But one of the things that keeps me going, so to speak, is a picture of, of my then fiance. Just say, oh, a few more days, a few more months counting down to the day that we'll be together. But can you imagine if I had a picture of my then fiancé in my wallet, and when I took out my wallet, she saw a picture of another woman there. Right. You're giving me the looks now. What do you think she would feel? She might, yeah, that's fine. I hope that's your sister. She doesn't look like her. We laugh at it now, but imagine that with God. 
We were just engaged then. We haven't really signed the papers yet. I could probably run away and not fulfill my commitments. But when, we, when we're dealing with God, there's no running away. We know that God called us to himself. He called us to come and draw near. When you draw near to God, he draws near to you. He calls us out to have fellowship with us because he knows that without him, we can do nothing. Come on, Bruce Forsyth, nothing. Join me. God calls us to be with him. He wants our undivided attention. It's a faithfulness issue with this commandment. As I was committed to be faithful to my then fiance and now wife, continues to be the same up to now. <laughs> we talked about adultery in these uh, other commandments. This commandment is adultery towards God, being unfaithful to the God who saved you, to the God who gave his life for you, to the God who gave everything for you, including his own son. He calls us to be faithful to him because he did not hold back anything from us. Why would we hold back anything from him? Bear that in mind as we talk about faithfulness, about this commandment. Faithfulness toward God. It's a heart issue. As do all of the commandments, it starts from the heart. It starts from the heart. Later on, we'll try to examine that. Pastor Greg led us well in examining ourselves. And I believe God is leading us to more of that later on. But as we continue reading a bit of passages from the Bible, I pray that we will continue to grow in our knowledge of what God really wants from us through this command. Turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 32 then. Verses 1 to 10. For the sake of time, we'll just not read through the whole thing. But just to give you a bit of context, here we read the story of Israel when they were already in the desert at the foot of Mount Sinai, in fact. And what has happened up to that point is that Moses was called out to be a deliverer of some sort, to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. They were under the bondage and slavery serving the Egyptian empire for so many years. To the point that the people of Israel were questioning, is there still a God? Is God hearing our prayers? Have you been in that situation where in your dire, in dire situation, you don't know where, where the good things will come, and it seems that every day is as bad as the previous, if not worse, and you find there is no hope for the better things in life. But God was so good, he sent this guy Moses to lead them out of Egypt. God used 10 plagues to show the power of the God of Israel, to harden the heart of Pharaoh, to execute the judgment on this nation who has oppressed God's chosen people. Out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, it's a wonderful image really, if you think about it, sea parted and people walk on dry land. Five million people apparently, five million men and in the Bible, they only count the men. There is always more women than the men. Look around. Yeah. 
So five billion men. So you can imagine the enormity of the number that Moses led out of Egypt. And they were fed by bread from heaven. They, know, they don't know what it's called. They call it manna. I don't know what it is. It's called it manna. And they were fed, sustained by this miraculous bread from heaven every morning. Up to that point, they experienced another miracle. Moses he was used by God so that water can come out of the water, sustain the whole camp. Imagine that. A spring in the desert. Such is the power of God. Even in the deserts of our lives, God can let flow life-giving water to comfort, to sustain, to enable you. So if you feel that you're a bit of a struggle, finding it difficult to move on, rest in the fact that the God of Israel is the God that is in at work in your life and can bring waters into the dry deserts of your being. So this is the situation they're in. Moses went up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. And it's interesting that it seems that the people of Israel, having witnessed all of these miracles, all of these wonders, still don't know this God that Moses is serving. Before we read Exodus 32, let me just read to you Exodus 20, verses 18 to 20. If you could flash that on screen, that would be great. This was at a time when God was showing his glory and splendor and power. Now when the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, can you imagine that? The mountain shaking, smoking up. The people were afraid. I would be at the sight of such an awful and tremendous thing. They trembled and stood afar off. They stood afar off. Natural thing to do, I suppose. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. It's a nice thing. Somebody speaking to you and you're listening just like what you're doing now. I like that. You speak to us and we will listen, but do not, do not let God speak to us. Lest we die. Now this is the God who is life. He is the God who gives life. He is the God who would make your life livable, the very least. No, God says that you may have life in its fullness. This is the God who they fear. Sometimes we have a different idea who God is. And because of that, we tend to just stand far off. I pray that you will draw near. Today, commit yourself to drawing near. Do not be afraid of the God of the Bible. What does God say in his word? Fear not, for I am with you. He wants to draw near. He wants to come close to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. The fear that they have is because they don't know the God that Moses served. Do you know who the God of the Bible is? It's the uncertainty and the discomfort and the fear that you have of this God based on 
a lack of knowledge or misconception of who he is. I encourage you, read God's word. You will know this God. And the more the know you got, the more you know of the God of the Bible, the more you will love him. The more you will desire to be with him. Moses said to the people, verse 20, do not fear, for God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you. This is not the fear that trembles, people. This is the fear that gives respect to God, that you may not sin. Let's go back to that story in 32 of Exodus. Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, to get instructions on how to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, through the deserts, into the promised land. The people said, speak to us, we'll listen. Don't, don't let this God speak to us because we'll die. So they were, they were reliant on this Moses to get the message from God. Understand that scenario. Have you put your reliance on somebody to do the things that you cannot do? Have you depended on somebody else so that the things you cannot do, they can do for you? Am I the only one desperate for other people's help? I believe we are always in that situation. There are things we cannot do. We have our own limitation. And we try to get that help from other people. And the people of Israel were in that situation. But what has happened is Moses supernaturally has gone up to Meet God, and for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says he did not eat, he did not drink. We have these seasons and days of fasting, and we've had one last week where we meet God after a period of fasting. It's a good thing to fast. But in this situation, it was supernatural. It's not, a new, it's not very healthy, really, to not eat and drink for 40 days, 40 nights. We have a doctor, doctors in the room, and they will attest to that. But they were worried. They relied on Moses to get instructions from God. And they were worried, 40 days, 40 nights, we haven't heard from this guy. What has happened? What did they say? They came to Aaron in verse 1. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. The person that they were relying to do stuff for them is nowhere to be found. We haven't heard anything from him. So what did Aaron do? Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And basically what Aaron did was to shape up a golden calf. He fashioned it with a graving tool, verse 4, and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods. Note, it's a small g, and it's got an S at the end. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Growing up as a Christian, I asked myself, why would Aaron do such a thing? 
Don't you get annoyed when people do things that you know are not right? And you wonder, why did they do that? Looking back, and you, under, you, you question Aaron. He is Moses' brother. Of all people, he should understand what God has been doing for the Israelite people. He was actually a spokesperson, spokesperson for Moses. That was the agreement. That was what God allowed them to have. So in, in many ways, Aaron was the right-hand man of Moses. He knows the agenda. He knows the whole plan. And yet, Aaron did this thing. And if you read the Bible, there's no clear indication why. But we could probably guess why. Imagine there were five million people there, at least. And all of them seem to say, well, make us something. We don't know what happened to Moses. I believe, and, and, and you, you can challenge me with this. I don't mind. Pastor Greg mentioned this is a church that was challenging. So challenge me with this. But I think... Aaron had to give in because other, otherwise he'd be lynched by the mob. Probably. I think they, they did say they're not pushing away God. They're just not sure about this Moses. Their confidence in the guy that is supposed to be the middleman between them and God has gone. No more. Who can do the things that we are hoping to do? So make us a God. Fill in the gaps with something else. Have we tried that before? If we put our trust on something or somebody and they're not doing the job, we try to fill in somebody, put in somebody to fill in the gap. I mean, they've had that problem with Everton. Some Evertonians here? No? Good. Oh, there's one. Sorry. Lester did the same. They had to get somebody to fill in the gap. But in many ways, the people of Israel were doing the very thing that God was about to tell them about. Don't make any gods. Don't make any images of any gods before me. But we need to understand why they did it in the context of what has happened. Later on, we'll, I'll tell you why. We need to understand where people are coming from when they do things you know are not right. And as a people that challenges each and everyone to lift up, encourage, to do the right thing, we need to understand the why people do things. We are a people that God uses to be instruments of reconciliation. And that means we need to be people ready to stand in the gap so that people who are estranged can be put together. And we'll talk about that more later on. God does not like any competition when it comes to our devotion. He gave everything for us. He expects the same thing from us. The psalmist in 115, Psalm 115, verses 4 to 8 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. 
eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. Now that verse is powerful. I told you earlier, you become like the God who you worship. And this is another verse that makes that point. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. God wants you to trust him and him alone. He is a jealous God because he knows there is no one better than him in making your life the life that it should be. As I said earlier, my wife and I are married over 13 years now. If I were to become jealous because of things of somebody else, it's because I feel I, I'm the best person for her. A nod will do well, a nod, yes, yes. She's, yeah, yeah, that's a nod. I'll consider that a nod. God is jealous of any other lesser gods because he knows there's no one like him. You ask yourself then, what have I made? Because the Bible, the Bible says, do not make. You shall not make yourself a carved image. This is an action that we've done. It's not, it's not Aaron's fault, although Aaron was the one who shaped and formed it. But they forced Aaron to do it. So the, they're accomplices to the crime, so to speak. Do not make yourself. Some, some, some commentators mention, do not make yourself an idol. Serving yourself, serving your own motives, serving your own agenda, and putting God less. What, are, what is our golden calf? What is our holy cow? Now, very quickly, I'm running out of time, but I, I need to make sure that you understand this. Everything that we do has a consequence. Every choice we make has a consequence. When Moses went down from Mount Sinai and bearing the, 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 the tablets of stone, bearing the commandments, he broke it and said, and, and what did he do? He, he tore down the, the golden calf, burnt it, pulverized it, put it in the water, and made them to drink the water. What is he saying? Is this the God that you are worshiping? I can burn it up. I can pulverize and make you drink it. This is not the God that we should, we should worship. The God of Israel is nothing like that. The consequence further on was that he asked the people, make a choice. Who is with me? Moses was very confident where he stands before God. Who is with me? The, the Levites went on beside him. Come on, take your sword. Go through the camp. Kill everyone that's in front of you. Consequence. 3,000 people died. Not a simple matter. 3,000 people die. Everything we do, everything we say, every decision we make has a consequence. God tells us not to make this graven image, not because it's a killjoy. He doesn't want us to party. He doesn't want us to have 
merriment around the camp, which is what they had with this golden calf. Because he knows there is a better way. And there is no one who can give that but him. Who do you trust? The things that you make with eyes that do not see, mouths that do not speak. Now, you might argue, I haven't done that. I come from the Philippines, you know, very religious people and predominantly Catholic. We do have that problem, unfortunately. Most people haven't had that issue. And I think this is where the bottom line needs to be set. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of faithfulness. It's not the, the object itself that's the issue. It's the attitude of our heart. And I'll show you a very good example. If you turn your Bibles with me to 2 Kings, chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. We read here a story of a man who is remarkably good. And the Bible speaks highly of this man. Verses 1 to 6 of chapter 18, 2 Kings. It says here, in the third year of Hosea, son of Ella, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old, and he began, 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Verse 3, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a righteous man. In the eyes of God, he did what is right. He's a good guy. According to all that David, his father, has done, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses has made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. Now, just to give you an idea what that means. In one of the dealings of God with the people of Israel, they, they always do things wrong, decide to do things that's not really pleasant before God. And one of the things that God did to punish them was to send serpents throughout the camp. Okay? One snake is bad enough, but all over the camp, many serpents, many died, many got bitten. And what, what Moses did was to put up a bronze serpent. Everyone who looks to that bronze serpent will be saved. And this is a picture of Jesus work of salvation. Those who look upon Jesus will be saved. This is a precursor, a foreshadow of what Jesus will do. But what the people did, this instrument that God used for transformation, for salvation, this instrument that God used so that people can be saved became the object of their worship. They offered offerings before this bronze Here's, here's, the, here's the idea. Even the very good things that we have can be the object of our worship. I've been to churches and I've been part of a church where people don't go to church if it's not that preacher's going to preach. I don't know, the, the idol probably is that preacher. I've been to around people who don't worship God if they're not going to have that particular song as part of the song list. I don't feel that we worship God. I personally would feel whenever I'm coming up with lists to lead worship with, right, shall we sing that song? I think the people love that song. I should use that. 
is my idol that song. Anything that draws you away from seeing God, distorting God, is an idol. It's a potential idol. God said, don't make any graven image of God. Even God. Don't make any image of me, God said. And I'll tell you why. Because God is spirit. How can you make an image of something that is spiritual? And the problem with that is we'll, we'll worship the object instead of the God that represents. Going back to my example. If I had my wife's picture as my screensaver, does that mean that I have my wife there already? I don't need her anymore. She's there, oh, gorgeous. I love my wife. She's there, I'm all good. I don't need her anymore. The object of our worship becomes an idol if we do not connect and have a good idea of the God who we would like to worship. That's why God said, anything on heaven, anything on earth, even under the earth, don't make any image of that. Don't be, make them an idol. Don't let them distort the image of who I am. Why? Because God wants you to know him more, better. Do not limit yourself. Do not limit the knowledge of God to the image that you have in front of you. Well, people say, well, it helps me worship God. Yes. But how, how often do we find ourselves wanting the object of our worship to be that thing instead of God himself? I believe that there is a consequence to that decision. If we choose to have something instead of God, there will be consequences. Pastor Greg was very keen to share this in, on Thursday. I, I, was, I was in many ways excited about what he was doing because this is exactly what God wants us to understand. In Romans chapter 1, God clearly made this message clear. If I may have that on screen, read this with me. Starting from verse 18. I'll just read this through. I pray that the word of God will speak to our hearts. And let God reveal to us the nature of our hearts right now. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, and animals, and creeping things. We exchange the glory of the immortal God to something that we could understand, see, perceive, and relate to. Sometimes the issue of idolatry is an issue of knowing who the real God is. 
Let me rephrase that. It's not sometimes, it's always. If you knew who the God of the Bible really is, would you satisfy yourself by looking at something that God, uh, that man has made? It goes beyond that. It's not only on graven images. If we understand that it may be things that are good, just like the bronze snake, we could easily see that we can get it all wrong quite easily. If we give value to other things over God, we run the risk of committing idolatry. Now, there are some Bible scholars who came up with a list of possible idols. Do you want me to go through them? Yeah? Knowing is half the battle, really. Comfort idol. Things that give you pleasure, looking after health, possessions, recreation. In fact, if I may just read to you what J. John wrote down and shared in the book. It's called the Psalm 23 for dieters. I find it amusing, so I'll share it with you. I mean, if you want the book, come here tonight. Pastor Greg will give it out. Psalm 23. This is the famous chapter that says, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know that chapter? Okay. Now, let me read to you what is the Psalm 23 for the dieters. So people who really want the diet right. My diet is my shepherd. I shall be in want. It makes me jog around green pastures. It leads me to quietly drink water and jump on and off the scales. It guides me to resist all pleasurable food for my figure's shape. Even though I walk through the aisles of Tesco's, there are other supermarkets available. I will buy no bovril, for you are with me. Your measuring tape and your calorie counter, they confuse me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of East Enders. You cover my lettuce with low-fat mayonnaise. My Diet Coke overflows. Surely a rumbling stomach and a feeling of irritability will be with me all the days of my slimming plan. And I will worry about my weight forever. <laughs> now, can you imagine being on a diet as an idol? You probably say those words. Some people will probably, probably go to that extreme. Because they feel, and this is what idols do, they make you feel that that is the only way for you to have meaning, to have direction and have worth. Satisfaction and security. That's what idols do. They give you a false sense of what it really is to have life in its fullness. Only God can do that. Don't replace what God can offer with things that are just temporary, things that will go away. So the idols may not be a literal figure that you worship and give sacrifice to. It may be something that distorts your image of who God truly is. Some people, I need to do this for my future. Let's go on to that list of other idols.
the idol of security is one of them. The approval idol. I need to be looking like somebody, like my idol. I need to, to be in control, the power idol. Anything and everything that makes you do what you want to do away from drawing near to God is an, a potential idol. Now, I may just carry on saying this, but let me, let me just bring it home the point. Are there things in our lives that distorts our image of God? Are there things that we replace God with feeling that, thinking that that will give me the meaning that I want, the direction and the value that I need? Anything that takes away God from the picture or diminishes his value in your life is a potential idol. God says, don't make any idols before me because I am a jealous God. And I will visit it on the third and fourth generation. See, consequences may not just affect us. It affects other people around us. The nice thing with God is he visits not to condemn because visitors come to support, encourage, offer help. I mean, at least that's what I'd think if you visit my house. If you visit somebody, you, you try to make yourself available for them and do things together with them and enjoy life together. You don't go there to give misery and pain to those people you're visiting, do you? Hopefully not. If that's the case, don't come to my house. <laughs> but God says, I visit third and fourth generation because, because God understands the the concept of consequence. Imagine a child born from somebody with AIDS, passing on the condition to their child. A child of a convicted criminal will find it hard moving on with life simply because they have that name of their father over their, over their heads. The consequences of our actions will be passed on to generations after us. But God visits those generations to, to tell them, there is a better way. There is a better way. Come. Come to me. Come to me. There is a better way. In that commandment, God says that there is a better way. He shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love and keep his commandments. As I close, I'd like us to understand that the only image that we need to grab hold of is the image that is mentioned in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is the only image that God wants us to have of him says here, referring to Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 goes on to say, even he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Why am I telling here? Do you know that Jesus is all that we need to know, to have, to understand who God is? Jesus himself. 
You don't have to make yourself any more graven image. Jesus himself is more than enough. As I close, I'd like us to spend a few minutes to ask God. Lord God, am I making idols for myself? In my attempt to get on with life? Am I seeking meaning and purpose and value in things that I make for myself that is not part of what you want, uh, want me to have? Am I using things around me, good as they may be, on their own as the source of this meaning? As the definition of my value in life, am I finding these things diminish my understanding of who you are? If you think God is prompting you and revealing to you things that knowingly or unknowingly you're using as an idol to replace God, to give more value to it than God, I would encourage you, in your own words, just ask God for forgiveness. I'd like, you to encourage, I'd like to encourage you to do more than that. I would encourage you to tell God, Lord God, I'm turning my back against that thing that I've made as an idol. Because you cannot turn to God unless you turn away from those things. God clearly says, I'm a jealous God. I want your undivided devotion. Again, in your own words, tell God, Lord God, I'm turning away from these things. I don't want them anymore. There is no one like you. Nothing compares with you. I'd like to be with you. I'm all in for you. In your own words, just say those words. It might be that you're not really sure what we're talking about here because you don't know what it is to be a follower of Jesus. I'd like to encourage you. We have a God who wants to reveal himself more to us. Who wants us to know him more. Because he knows the more we know about him, the more we would love him. And that love is a result of the love he gave to us. He showed that when he said, 
I don't want you to carry on with life without me. I want you to come and enjoy the life I have in store for you. What you need to do is just say, Lord God, I messed up my life, did decisions my own way, came up with idols right, left, and center just to fill my life up with some sense of fulfillment or meaning. Lord God, I understand this is not what you had intended for me. I ask for forgiveness. I pray, Lord God, that you would lead me as my God and I will follow you and be the person you want me to.